Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, joining us here this morning. Let's just have another brief word of prayer. Pray with me, please. Father, we pray that uh, you will transform us by the renewing of our minds this morning through your word. May your Holy Spirit fall upon us and speak to us. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord, as we look into your word. Please guide us now and be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. You may uh, remember in your history class that during the Civil War, there were two families that lived along the Kentucky-West Virginia line, uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys. And the Hatfields and McCoys got along fine. One lived mostly on one side of the river and the other on the other side, and things were fine until the Civil War. Now, both families, the Hatfields, all of them served in the Confederacy, and the McCoys as well, except for Asa McCoy. Asa McCoy decided to serve in the Union forces. And when the war was over and Asa was on his way home, some of the Hatfields and a group of other men killed him before he got there because he was serving with the Union Army. And that began a feud between the Hatfields and McCoys that lasted for almost 30 years. Now, the uh, next thing that happened a few years later was that there was a dispute about the ownership of a hog. Now, some of you may think, well, who would dispute about owning a hog? Well, I raised hogs growing up, and hogs are worth fighting for. And so the Hatfields and the McCoys couldn't decide, you know, who the hog belonged to. And so there was a dispute, and it went before a judge, and a certain man came up and uh, testified that that was the Hatfields' hog. Well, the McCoys didn't like that testimony, and so they killed that man, and so the feud continued. Then a few years later, there was a massacre on one of the McCoys' cabins where the Hatfields came on New Year's night and uh, fired several rounds of bullets into a cabin and killing two of the McCoy children. And so the feud continued. Uh, it lasted about 30 years, and uh, finally, about a century later, in the year 2000, uh, they had a, a joint family reunion and sort of buried the hatchet between uh, the two families. And in 2003, uh, they actually uh, came together and signed a proclamation. There was an official, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A treaty, an official treaty between the two families. And the governors of the states of West Virginia and Kentucky actually signed the proclamation. And on June 14, 2003, it was, it was known as the Day of Reconciliation between the Hatfields and the McCoys. So reconciliation with others is important and biblical, but reconciliation with God is even more important. And that's our topic today. We're going to look at what reconciliation with God actually is. Let me read you just a short uh, definition that I found that I thought was really good. Reconciliation with God is the removal of hostility, enmity, and alienation, and the restoration of friendship and fellowship with God after estrangement. A short definition would be that reconciliation means to reunite man with his creator. 
Now, reconciliation with God is not God and us coming back together like two friends mending their differences and reconnecting. But it's more like a loving and merciful takeover where God grabs us from the clutches of sin, death, and judgment and makes us alive in Christ and brings us close to him for all eternity. Let me read, read, let me read that one more time. Reconciliation was with God uh, with God is not God and us coming back together like two friends mending their differences and reconnecting. But it's more like a loving and merciful takeover where God grabs us from the clutches of sin, death, and judgment and makes us alive in Christ and brings us close to him for all eternity. Would you please uh, open your Bibles or devices to Ephesians chapter 2? I'd like to share some verses that talk about that estrangement and us and Christ providing a loving and merciful takeover. It's the greatest rescue mission that was ever accomplished. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to start with verse 1 and read through verse 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Uh, That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Verse 4. But God. It's all, all of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, you might ask exactly how was that rescue mission accomplished? Let me share some thoughts from Dr. Wayne Grudem, who happens to be my favorite, happened to be my favorite professor while I was in seminary. Here's what Dr. Grudem says. He says, the atoning and saving work of Christ is a complex event that has several effects on us, and it can be viewed from several different aspects. It can be explained by our four needs and four biblical terms that explain how, explains how God meets those needs. So here are, the, here are the four needs. Number one, we deserve to die as the penalty for sin. Back in Genesis chapter 2, God said to Adam, he says, you can eat from every tree in the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then Paul said to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 23, he said, for the wages of sin is death. That's our first need. We deserve to die as the result of our, as the penalty for our sin. Our second need is that we deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. We deserve to bear God's wrath against sin. We just read from Ephesians 2, chapter 3, that we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of man mankind. And number three, our third need is that we're separated 
from God by our sins. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sins have separated us from God. And then fourthly, we're in bondage to sin. And again, we read in Ephesians 2, those first three verses that we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. I don't know if you noticed, but in all four of those needs, sin is at the center of it. We deserve to die as the penalty of our sin. We deserve to bear God's wrath against our sin. We're separated from God by our sin, and we're in bondage to sin. Also, I like to always point out that the middle letter in sin is I. Sin is all about us, putting us in God's place. Well, God meets those needs in four ways by, by Christ's death. All right, let me share with you how four different biblical terms that tell us how Christ's death met those needs. First word is sacrifice. To pay the penalty of death that we deserved because of our sins, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. To pay the penalty of death, remember we deserve death, to pay the penalty of death, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. Hebrews 9.26 says that once for all, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Nobody forced him. He willingly went and gave his life for us to pay the penalty for our sin. The next biblical term is propitiation. And uh, that's hard to kind of remember exactly what propitiation means. But to remove us from the wrath of God that we deserved, remember that was one of our needs, Christ died as a propitiation. It just means that he made the payment that removed God's hostility and wrath from us. So propitiation removes God's hostility toward us. The next term, which we're looking at today, reconciliation, removes our hostility from God. Reconciliation, to overcome our separation from God, we needed someone to remove our, our, our hostility toward God and thereby bring us back into fellowship with God. Now, you might ask, how, did, how is that accomplished? How is our hostility removed from us toward God? Simply this, God makes us into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. When we become a new creation in Christ, God removes the hostility, the alienation. I want it my way. He removes that from us, and he gives us a new heart, a heart that wants to draw near to God, a heart that wants to please him. The only way that can be accomplished is by us being made new through the gift of the Holy Spirit coming into our life. And so if you if just keep this in mind, propitiation removes God's hostility from us. Reconciliation removes our hostility toward God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? See, reconciliation, the only way that reconciliation can happen and, and God and mankind can come back together is if God's hostility and our hostility, our alienation, our separation is removed. And once that's removed, then we can draw near to God as, as God has drawn near to us. And the fourth biblical term is redemption. Because we as sinners are in bondage to sin and to Satan, we need someone to provide redemption 
and thereby redeem us out of that bondage. Christ became our ransom. He became the payment, the price that was paid to redeem us or to set us free. So redemption just means that, that God paid or Christ paid the penalty, so the ransom, so that we could be set free to live in God's purposes. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, did not come to be served, I'm sorry, but to serve. And so Christ is our ransom. He came to pay the price. Well, if you will now, turn, turn back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's go through these uh, verses that were read this morning and just see what each of them has to say about this whole concept of reconciliation. And just remember, our quick definition is, is of reconciliation is to reunite man with his creator, to remove the hostility and enmity, and to restore friendship and fellowship with God. Let's look at verse 19. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, only someone who's fully God and fully man could stand in the gap between a holy God and sinful mankind and restore them to fellowship. The only way you bring a holy God and sinful man together is with a mediator that's both God and man. And let's look at 1 Timothy 2.5. 1 Timothy 2.5 should be coming up on your screen there. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. As Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. Now look at verse 20. And through him, speaking of Christ, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Reconciliation and peace, wholeness, completeness, come through the shed blood of Christ. And I'd like to refer you to Romans 5.1, coming up on your screen. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been declared righteous by our faith in Christ. And then invert, go down to verse 9. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Justified by faith, so we have peace with God. And we're justified by his blood, by his shed blood. And then let's, let's look at verse 21. This, here's the bad news again. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This was our situation before we came to Christ. We were alienated, hostile in mind, and of course, as a man thinks, so he does, and then we were doing evil deeds. This is what Ephesians 2.12 says about that. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, speaking to the Gentiles there in Ephesus. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
Wow. Look at, look at what that says again. Apart from Christ, we're separated, we're alienated, we're strangers, we have no hope, and we're without God. That's a sad situation. But then we come to verse 22, and we get the good news. But he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. He has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. Let's look at Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through Christ's bodily death, through his shed blood, even though we were enemies, we're now reconciled to God by his death. And now that we're reconciled, we're also saved by his life. In this, we also rejoice. Church, we should all be rejoicing this morning that God has reconciled us to the death and shed blood of Christ. This is a glorious thing. Um, God's love is amazing. And now look at 22b, because this talks about then the purpose of us being reconciled in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, reconciliation with God should produce people who are holy and blameless and above reproach. This is the purpose of reconciling us to God, giving us the Holy Spirit, giving us the Word of God, giving us the body of Christ, so that we have everything that we need then to live a holy and blameless life before Him. Uh, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 27. It's talking about husbands and wives, but it's also talking about Christ and the church. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, which just means set her apart for holy purposes, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Wow. When God reconciles us, he gives us all that we need to be empowered through this new life in Christ. And he wants to take the church and he wants to sanctify us. He wants to set us apart for holy purposes. He wants to cleanse us. He wants us to, to make us majestic and, and to present us to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, blameless, holy, without blemish. And then verse 23, the last verse of our passage today, if you look at that, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Reconciliation should produce a faith 
that is stable and steadfast. That's a good word for us today, isn't it? The world is very unstable. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, and that's the key, and that's why we can remain stable and steadfast. Uh, When Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and talking about the resurrection, the great resurrection chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of talking about from moving to imperishable and incorruptible, he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of the victory that we have in Christ, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because we are reconciled to God, because he is so near to us, because the Holy Spirit is within us, and the word of God is guiding us, and the body of Christ is supporting us, and we are this new creation. We can be steadfast. We can be immovable. Because of our victories? No. Because of Christ's victory. The grave could not hold him. And we have that same resurrection power within us through the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's look at some application for this and turn once more, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a great passage on reconciliation with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Church, keep remembering that. Keep remembering the old has passed away. The new has come. You are a new creation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then After he brought us to himself through reconciliation, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. God has reconciled us to himself. He has removed the hostility, the enmity, the alienation. We were enemies. He made us friends. He removed all of that and brought us together so that we could enjoy friendship and fellowship with God. And then he fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we might not only be reconciled, but we are to be ministers and have the ministry of reconciliation. So here's just two application points for you I want you to think about today. First of all, number one, 
Have you been reconciled to God? Do you know Jesus in a personal way? Have you received him? Have you invited him into your life to be your Lord and your King and your Savior? That is the first application of reconciliation with God, to take that step, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to become a new creation. The second step then is, are you serving as a minister of reconciliation? Are you sharing this beautiful, reconciling God and sharing Christ with other people? Are you living a life where you are reconciled with other people and being an example of reconciliation? And I I tell you this, there's no way you can really reconcile with others without being reconciled to God. Because the whole basis of confession of sin and restoration and forgiveness is based on the forgiveness that we have in Christ, in the reconciliation that we have with him. And that's why reconciliation with God is so important. You can't just know God. You have to be reconciled to God. He has to live within you. That's how close he has to be. Because there's no way we can reconcile with others or forgive others without the grace of God and the reconciliation with God being a part of us. You see, we love because he first loved us. We forgive because he first forgave us. We can be reconciled with others and the world because he reconciled with us. It all starts with him. Well, today is Mother's Day, and I want to offer a blessing to all you mothers out there. But I also want to acknowledge that Mother's Day can cause a lot of pain and sorrow. And that's why I'd like to talk about reconciling motherhood. So how does Mother's Day produce so much pain and sorrow? I don't have an exhaustive list of things, but I I came up with seven uh, points that I thought sometimes can cause pain and sorrow to people on Mother's Day. Uh, first of all, some of us may not have had a mother who may have had a mother who was not nurturing or encouraging. We may not have had much of a relationship with our mom because of that, and that can cause pain and sorrow. Some of us may not have had a mother because of either death or divorce. Some women are prevented from having children for a variety of reasons, and that can cause a lot of pain and sorrow. Some women may have had an abortion and now have to live with regret because of that decision. Some women have children who have gone astray, which brings them a lot of heartache. Some of us have mothers who have died, and we miss them in so many ways. And a lot of you may know, but Laura Cummings lost her mom this week, and I would ask you to please be praying for Laura and her family. And some of us have mothers who are aging and struggling with life, and we grieve to see them in this condition. And that's where I'm at, and the rest of my family are at right now with with my mom. And she's 85 years young. Uh, She got married right out of high school to my dad when she was 17 years old, and 14 months later gave birth to me when she was 18 years old. She got a teaching degree and a master's degree in education while raising three kids and helping my dad on the farm. She's a great example of kindness and generosity. She's very trusting and desires to please everyone around her. 
She's never demanding, and she has a tender and loving heart. My sisters have done a wonderful job of caring for mom over the past few years, and now Sharon and I have the privilege of having her in our home. It is such a joy to tuck my mom in bed at night. I grieve my mom's physical and mental decline, (laughs) even as I grieve my own, but I have put my hope in the Lord's promised return and the new heavenly body and mind that we will receive because of our reconciliation in Christ. Mom, I love you. So with all of these issues regarding motherhood, how do we reconcile motherhood? Here's my best answer. Since reconciliation with God brings us back to God, back to life, back to hope, back to peaceful relationships, and back to the main purpose of our lives on this planet, and he becomes our top priority and takes preeminence in our lives, then whatever suffering we encounter in a fallen world will take second place to our victorious, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit life that we now possess for all eternity. In Christ, our great reconciler, motherhood, with all of its problems, will also be brought back into complete submission to the one who created and recreated us for his glory alone. God will reconcile motherhood to himself through Jesus Christ, just as he will reconcile all things to himself. Now let me just close with two verses here from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, including reconciliation? He will. Let's pray.